0: Welcome to Donor Conception Conversations. This is a one podcast created exclusively for people who want to build their families using donor conception or already have built their families using donor conception. I'm your host. I'm Lisa Schumann. I'm an author, a researcher, and I'm the host of this podcast. And I'm here to teach you the tools and the truths that you need to have a better journey to parenthood. So today, we have a solo episode, and I don't do a lot of them. But when I have an idea that I think will really help you, I really want to share it with you. That's what it's all about for me. I really want to share information that will be beneficial to you. So today is a little bit of a tricky episode. The episode is, are you choosing your donor or are you fighting reality? And that can be a little bit difficult and may feel a little challenging. So if you are completely in love with your donor, if you feel like your donor is the one, then maybe you want to turn this episode off. But if you are thinking that maybe you could learn something about choosing your donor and you haven't done so yet, then I really think that you should listen to this because I will teach you some things that maybe you haven't thought of yet. So, When I talk about fighting reality, it is not intentional. I am not saying that you're intentionally fighting reality. I am talking about the way that our bodies react to a situation that is uncomfortable. So let me explain a little bit about that. Very often, we have reactions to things, right? And we all know that we all have this fight or flight syndrome. If something scares us or intimidates us in some way, then very often our bodies go into fight or flight, right? Our pupils dilate, our hair stands up in our back, and we're ready to flee or to fight or to freeze. And so we have this reaction, and it's a very natural reaction that all animals have. But sometimes it's a little more subtle. Sometimes our bodies have reactions to things that are not as extreme, and sometimes it just passes our vision entirely. We just don't get a sense that this is happening to us. So for example, maybe we choose a restaurant because it looks cleaner than the other one, but maybe there's just a small difference and we're not sure why, but we like one better than the other. Maybe we go to a party and as we walk in, we approach somebody who seems very approachable, somebody who's smiling, somebody lo- who looks happy, and maybe somebody who's a little intimidating. We don't approach them, but maybe we just don't even notice it. We just do this, right? So lots of times we make kind of unconscious decisions about things that make us uncomfortable. And we don't really think about it. We just kind of go through our day. Now, let's think about something else. What about the things? that make us a little bit uncomfortable, and we need to make them more comfortable, or we need to find a place where we're comfortable, but then we also interject some of our cognition, some of our thinking brain, not just our emotional brain, but our thinking brain into the process. So for example, let's say we're buying a house, and lots of people are thinking, well, that's a really big investment, and it is. It's a very big deal. So you may go into it with your emotional brain and say, I really feel like I love this house because it reminds me of my grandmother's house and I had such a great time with my grandmother when I was little. Or I like the style or I really like the neighborhood or maybe there's something about it that just seems so warm and pleasing to me. There are lots of reasons why people buy homes or or are attracted to certain homes. Okay, That's our emotional brain. Sometimes our mind will take over and we'll say, well, wait a minute. I need to think about the finances here. This is a big decision. So what do we do? We pull back the curtain a little bit and we step into our thinking brain. And when we have our thinking brain on, we can start to think about things that really matter, that are practical, like maybe how much does this house cost? Can I afford it? Is there financing? What are the taxes going to be like? Is there a good school district for my children? Is it in a neighborhood that I'm going to like? We start to add in some practical aspects of this process. So when we think about that, let's think about choosing a donor. Choosing a donor can be very emotional. And for some people, it feels very, very emotional. And for others, not so much. But I will challenge you to think about the fact that it may trigger your emotional brain and your body may be fighting reality even though you don't know it. So let's think about it. Even if you're in a situation, let's say you're going to say to me, Lisa, this isn't me because I don't have an emotional brain about choosing a donor. I'm really very practical about it. Okay, so let's think about several scenarios. Let's say you're a heterosexual couple and you've gone through fertility treatment and even though it's been difficult for you, you have decided, I'm ready to choose a donor. I've grieved the losses that I need to grieve. I've gotten past the fact that I'm not going to use my genetics to build my family and I'm okay with using a donor. Or let's say you're part of a queer couple, and you say, well, Lisa, I have really suffered through my losses already when I came out. I already thought about the fact that I'm not going to be able to have a child with with both people in the couple's genetics, that that's not going to happen for me, and I accepted it long ago, and I'm okay with choosing a donor. Let's say you're a single person, and maybe you wanted to have a partner, maybe you didn't, but you say... I've resigned myself to building my family as a single parent, and I've, of course I need to use a donor, and so I'm going to use a donor, and that's just fine with me. So all of these people may seem like they're fine with using a donor. It's not going to affect them. Why should it trigger their emotional brain at all? But you are using the genetics of somebody that you don't know, usually, to build your family. and that in itself can be very anxiety provoking it's very very hard to think about it think about the ideas that you've had about building your family the ideas of maybe playing on the floor with your you know one or two year old or pushing carriage or snuggling in with your kid or watching TV. These are intimate experiences. This is going to be the most intimate experience that you've had apart from your partner, probably, or your parents. And also, it's a lifelong decision. There is a lot of pressure here. And so it's very difficult to be practical. And I understand that it may feel practical, but what do most people tell me? Most people don't say practical things to me. Most people don't talk about the health of the donor or about things that will be very important for their child down the road. They say, Oh, I, I think he's a really nice guy, or I really love the profile, or she's very pretty or very smart, or, you know, everybody in our family is very athletic, and I really wanted an athletic donor. What is your body doing there? Your body is fighting reality. Your body is saying, I need to take what's uncomfortable and make it comfortable. I need to take something that feels very foreign to me and make it close to me because this is a really important decision. It's very, very difficult for a lot of people to think clearly under these circumstances. So what is the alternative? The alternative is... To think about things that you have some control over versus the things you don't have control over. And then to think about those things first. I'm not saying take your emotional brain away from this because this can also be an emotional decision. You want to like your donor because, of course, you want to say nice things about your donor to your child. You may want to meet your donor sometime. You may want your child to meet your donor. You may want to meet donor-related siblings. There are a lot of reasons to have an emotional pull, not to mention the fact that you may have personal things. Maybe you really do like the fact that everybody in your family is musical. Maybe you really do like that, You want to keep your long line of Italian relatives alive in your children. You are entitled to all of those things. I'm not taking that away. But I think first, it's worthwhile thinking about the practical. Just like in this example of buying a home, both need to be considered. Okay, so how do we do that? how do we think about the practical first? So in my book that will be coming out in November, I am going to detail this information um, really, really specifically. And in my donor conception masterclass, I have a lot of information about this in the video, but I will give you a brief idea right now. The first thing I would think about is psychological screening. And I'm not going to go into that now because that's a whole video in itself. And you want to look at John Kurtz video that I have about that because he describes it perfectly, how to really understand what psychological screening means for a donor and how to understand that you are getting the right type of psychological screening. That, I think, needs to come first because it's the easiest thing to do. There's lots of ways to find a donor and there are a lot of choices to make. You want to narrow down those choices, right? And so the easiest way to do that is to make sure that the donors had psychological screening. And that will really clear out many, many donors immediately. So let's think about that first. Then I would start to think about the medical issues. What do you want more than anything? You want your child to feel happy and healthy, right? So we are taking care of as much as we're capable of taking care of. There's no way to really control for temperament. But we can take care of the medical and psychological and get a good sense of doing as much as we can. So let's think about the medical. If we think about how we receive traits, we need to think about how we get different traits from different people. I'm going to show you a video right now or a a little clip that will show you some pictures that. May be helpful to you. If you look at these pictures, these pictures are pictures of people who are siblings. Now, when we look at these people, we probably would never think that they're siblings, right? And if we looked at their parents and said, You're the sperm donor or you're the egg donor, I want this particular child, you might get the brother or sister, right? Not all people are like their siblings, not all people are like their parents. Lots of people have different attributes, right? Our ex-president, Bill Clinton, was a Rhodes Scholar, President of the United States. His brother is an alcoholic. The two princes of England look very different from each other. People don't always look like their siblings. People don't always have the same health as their siblings. People don't always have the same IQ as their siblings or the same musical talent or the same interest in sports, for example. So let's think again about the things we have control over versus the things we don't. And this will include medical. So the first thing that you're doing at your clinic is probably having genetic screening. And that's really important because we want to make sure that if your donor is a carrier for something, you're not a carrier for the same thing, right? Because we're doubling the risk for your child. But then your clinic will say, okay, you can go on your merry way now and you can choose a donor. So what do you do then? Well, I would recommend using that same strategic thinking and applying it to other health concerns. So, even though you really need three generations of information to be able to get a full genetic picture on your donor, and you probably will only have two, that's still better than nothing. So, what are the things that people die of in your family? What are the problems that people have? Now, some people live to be 102 and die of old age but the majority of us end up getting something it could be cancer it could be heart disease it could be you know a stroke but what if we thought about the donor's family the donor themselves are going to be young healthy people right they are young and healthy they've been through some medical screening and there's probably nothing wrong but what if we look at their family members So let's say you have colon cancer in your family. You'd probably be better off with a donor who, let's say, their grandmother died of heart disease or their grandfather died of heart disease because, again, you're not doubling the risk for your child. So we should look at all of those medical issues that are life-threatening first and make sure we're not doubling the risk for our child. Next, what about... Other medical issues that maybe are not as serious, but maybe there are things that you don't like. Maybe you wear glasses and you don't like wearing glasses and you think, well, I would really like to have a child who didn't wear glasses, so maybe you look for a donor where everyone has good eyesight. Maybe you have a propensity for diabetes or for asthma or for allergies in your family. Maybe there's some other medical issues that you prefer not to have your child inherit. And so in that case, I would look in the donor's family and see if it's there as well. So once you've gone through all of those steps, then I think the rest is gravy. If you want somebody who, let's say, is tall and slim, but everybody in the family is short and stocky, you're going to get short and stocky. So it's really important to think about the family tree. You are not choosing your donor. You're choosing their family. And so your family is going to be, if you're the genetically linked parent, is going to complement or contradict what you have in the donor's family. And you really want that to be a very good combination. So think about those things and think about how that donor's history will intersect with your family or the genetically linked partner's family before you think about those other things. And then once you've done that, you can think about the other things. And if you want to find somebody who has Irish blood and you can kind of openly celebrate all the Irish holidays because you're all Irish that's great. If you feel like you really like somebody because they're interesting or smart or you really like their personality, that's wonderful too. And of course, ideally, if you can find somebody who also is willing to be open, that's an ideal circumstance too. So those things are great, but those things should come after the health concerns because you don't want your body to fight reality. The reality is that health is primary and those are the things that you somewhat, and I say somewhat because it's not a guarantee, somewhat have control over. You don't have control over temperament or their looks or their IQ or musical talent. So why not think about the things that you have some control over first and then think about the other things. Your body is trying to protect you. Your body is trying to fight reality because it wants to make this an easier process for you it's a difficult process to consider using the genetics of someone that you don't know to build your family. So appreciate that and think about your body as doing you a favor, as trying to make you comfortable. But pull back that curtain just like you would in any other practical decision and take a step forward and also use your practical brain. Now I know this is a lot to take in. There are so many things that I just shared with you that you need to take in But what you also need to take in is that this is a reflexive experience. You are not intentionally just picking some guy that you think is cute or somebody that you think is pretty and not really thinking about the health of your child. This is very natural. I speak to thousands and thousands of people who tell me the same thing, and that's why I'm here talking to you. Almost every day, I hear people reflexively making these choices. People who are doctors, people who are geneticists, people who are biologists, they know these things. They know that you're not just choosing the donor, you're choosing the whole family, and yet they say, you know, we really like this guy because he's interesting or he was funny or because this woman is smart or whatever it might be. And so it's very interesting that our bodies really do try to help us. And what's important to realize is that this is a reflex. And just like any reflex, we can accept it and honor our feelings, but we also have to step back and think about what makes sense for us practically. And one more thing that's really important to know, and that is not to blame yourself. I understand that you may feel like after looking at this video or listening to this podcast, that You've been thinking about this all wrong, and you don't want to blame yourself. I see physicians and genetic counselors and biologists who very often come to me and say, oh, I chose my donor because they remind me of my best friend, or I chose my donor because they're interesting, or I really like their narrative. It's understandable to have those feelings, you are trying to make something that's completely unfamiliar to you, right? Somebody is is a stranger in your life, and you're trying to make it familiar. You're trying to make it comfortable. Your body is trying to do that for you. So it's going to reflexively choose a way to feel comfortable. What you need to do is to think about it in terms of what's practical, because this is a lifetime decision, and you actually have some control over some of the choices. So let's do that first and leave all the other choices for second, okay? And the beauty of video is that you can re-watch this as much as you want, but also you can reach out to me anytime for questions. I'm always happy to be there for you. I look forward to seeing you next time on Donor Conception Conversations Podcast.